I'm Rachel Jankovic. I'm Becca Merkel. We stretched our one podcast a week out real hard this time. No, I don't. I think we're still nailing it. We had one at the beginning of last week, one at the end of this week. (laughs) (laughs) So if you rate us on how many podcasts did you get in this week, week. we managed. We We did it. We are achieving. In other ways, we've not been so excellent. No. But it's been a busy time. The spring ramps up into busy times. Well, and today is Good Friday. Yeah. And we have the day off from school. From all work. (laughs) If only. But actually, what time is the service today? Five. Okay. So we had, um, for some reason, Luke and I are, the Lord saw fit to have us reliving big stretches of our life. (laughs) Because I think it's so funny that right now Luke is painting the new siding on mom and dad's house for them because they're going to um, yeah, list it to sell it. So he's painting it. But the last time it was painted, he painted it over spring break when we were engaged oh, or funny. almost engaged maybe. Right. We were dating. So he painted it like when I was living in that house. That's he, funny. So having Luke back out on the deck painting the house is like a really bizarre kind of uh-huh. nostalgia for us. That's random. Plus, my oldest, Lena, is running track, and I went to a track meet in Lapway where I also ran for the same coach at the same race, the same races. Like Lena's running the same 400. Yeah. And the 4x4 relay for the same team and the same coach at the same meet. It's so bizarre. It's like, I just think, why are we living these little little cycles of like, I've been here before, but as a different (laughs) character. (laughs) Kind of fun, though. I like it. Fun that it happens so quickly. I will add, I've already told Rachel this, so Rachel, bear with. I'm telling telling everybody else. I'll just be over here doing sound effects while she tells you. With your Diet Coke. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I should add that today we are in the daylight up in our normal location that is apparently a... A drug transfer place. <laughs> well, it's something that makes the I, cops I nervous. Always thought, I always thought that people were up here smoking pot, but it's also possible that this is the place you purchase the goods. Well, probably, but um, the cops apparently, they wonder if they see anyone up here in the dark. I think as, they have good reason. they probably should, yeah. but... But uh, the other day... What they don't think when they see us here in the dark no. is... Looks like a Christian women's lifestyle podcast. No. Looks but, like... Would you call us a lifestyle? I don't, I don't think I, I, like I could. that you just categorized that <laughs> for us. Hey, can we could put it with you who in um, Christian theological anthropology. <laughs> I'm like really a bestseller in that category. Because there's a lot of them. Because there's so much competition. There's like seven books there. Yeah, I'm sure um, there is. <laughs> At least dead minimum of seven. <laughs> well, the other day, um, there was an event at our house and that my daughter was doing. So Jemima was with some friends. They were doing a dinner party. Well, I, I put my phone on airplane mode, but Sorry, Rachel did not do that. Okay, keep going. 
Hmm. She's texting now, guys. It's all right. I'm listening. Anyhow. Uh, so there was an event at our house. And so Jemima and friends were, they were cooking and setting up and everything. And I was trying to plan a different event at our house. So I grabbed Hero. And I was like, Hero, let's go get a coffee and plan whatever it was. I can't even. This week. We have had been on an event sprint. Out of, out of eight days, we have had events at our house. Six of those. And, the, and when I say events, I mean like. Sit down dinner for 52, sit down dinner for 31, sit down dinner for 18, casual sort of soup night dinner for 40 or 50 or however many people come. I don't count. But anyway, it's just, it's a lot. She's trying to tell you that it's been really chill. It's been chill as you can't even imagine how chill it's been. Anyhow, so, so I was like, hero, let's go plan whatever this was. So I grab her, we go, we get a coffee, and we just needed to, like, sit down and make a list of what are we cooking and what do we need to get and stuff. I was like, oh, I'll take you up to our podcast spot. So, we pull on up here, and so, I, I feel like we've sufficiently described this to everyone, but it's a it's a kind of a dead-end road. Some are clearly felt that we had not sufficiently no, described it. Sort of yeah. LDS to the left, Walmart straight ahead, the La Quinta and Goodwill to the right. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Tomer Butte in the Tomer Butte in the distance. distance. The big, Kibbe Dome. Big sky, lots of clouds. And, and we're up here at the end of a dead end, so, you know, there's not a lot of traffic. Anyhow, at the dead end... It's basically, there's there's like these concrete barriers. We put a picture of, no, we didn't. It was under the snow. It was under the snow. Concrete barriers, kind of like they have along the edges of highways, Just you know? Just to keep you from driving out into the farmer's field. Yeah, and yeah. I think the idea is at some point they're probably going to make this road go through, but at the moment they just have concrete barriers. So. so, I always pull up, and when we get to the end, I pull a Yui right there in front of the concrete barriers, and then we turn and park facing downhill. And... As I'm pulling up here with Hero during the day, right? Praise the Lord. Yes, but I pull up, start to turn at Yui, and this little man's face pops up from behind <laughs> the concrete barrier, and he's smoking, and he just like pokes his little head up there and looks at us, and we both were like, ah! <laughs> and, and then we see he has a tent. Back behind so the then, concrete barrier. So then our mind like goes little, over all the times we've been here in the up dark. Up in the dark. And, and it was just like this little low Maybe the police tent. are looking for him. Maybe, Maybe he's a wanted man behind the concrete so. barricade. But it's like a little pup tent and it's army green. So you don't yeah. really per se notice no. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was we like, checked before we stopped so here today. So that time I was like, hero... This is our podcast spot. We're going to leave now. <laughs> but I did wonder, like, Summer, when we had you up here. I might have been. Was there a man it might have been behind a more the concrete barrier? moment than we intended. Yeah. We felt more alone than that. Yeah, Until we the did. cop came. We did. Yeah. Anyway. But we are undaunted. We're back here again. Yep. We are unafraid. In the criminal corners of Moscow. Criminal headquarters of <laughs> Moscow. It's where we like to go. Yes. So anyway, Easter is coming in a minute. Like a freight train. It is. Yep. It is. I have to get my, I always make sourdough croissants for Easter. I'm really excited about those. They are like the size of Frisbees and probably like footballs. They have a really 
frisbee indicate some level of flatness. <laughs> <laughs> They're not Fine. flat. Fine. They're, They're football yeah, sized. I gotta get going on those. I made a Tuscan coffee cake that I would like to tell you was in fact delicious. Tuscan. I really like King Arthur recipes. Okay. And they're just reliable. So if it seems like a good idea, then it probably then it is. probably is. Right. But this was one that came to me through King Arthur's Instagram, and King Arthur's Instagram had a um... <laughs> this time we're here with the Power Man truck. <laughs> it's all right. I don't think he's here for us. So. Uh, oh, no. King Arthur Instagram posted this recipe, and they, uh, but then I, so I go to look at the recipe, and they have just huge amounts of positive reviews, like, you know, okay. when, when everyone is like, this is so much better than you thought this would be, you feel yeah. like, okay, okay, yeah, I need to know. It was interesting, because it's a coffee cake, but it's much more like bread, and the recipe calls for walnuts and dates and raisins in it, but I didn't doesn't do. win me over. I did craisins and pecans because it was what mm-hmm. I had. But it's like a it's basically an enriched sourdough bread that you bake in a cake pan. But you pour you make a, it's like sugar and vanilla and water that you mix up and drizzle all over the top before you bake it. So it has like it's really not very sweet. Like, okay. it's just like bread with that in it, pretty much. But with a... I don't know. It's kind of bizarre. But it was just a pretty and interesting Weird. and different... You know, when you're like... It huh. felt like a part of life that I hadn't experienced before. Like a yeah. bready coffee cake. Well, that's always exciting. I'll tell you. Yeah. Last night, uh, we did a um, wine tasting dinner for the NSA seniors who are about to graduate. So... It was that class and a few faculty. And so we did a number of courses so we could do, you know, these different wines with each course. Anyhow, the main dish, I did the grilled lamb that I always do for Easter. So I'm going to do it again this weekend. A lot of lamb. Why not? And I just recommend this one for everyone if you want lamb at Easter it's so good it's I'm sure I've recommended it before but we do it every year and it's a a Jada de Laurentiis grilled lamb with salsa verde and um so I did that but then I did a couscous with it that I had not tried until yesterday but it's a whole bunch of shallots and um, that you saute and then chicken broth and you cook the couscous in that but then you add toasted pine nuts and dried currants and parsley at the end. That sounds solid. It was really good. And then I did a, a um, so we had the lamb with the salsa verde and then that couscous and then a fatouche uh, which is um, a bunch of like uh, chopped cucumbers and tomatoes and radishes mm-hmm. and sounds good. Um, little torn up nons that you let get kind of stale and then it's like a buttermilk um kind of a dressing that you toss the whole thing in and a bunch of herbs and I must say those three things together turned out to be wild good like really good so I know I was actually really happy about that it turned out well I would really like to eat that meal again and most of the time after you've been after you involved cooked it, you're in done. cooking it all day. That's you're like, like a, that's like a hating way the very thought of it. 
hostesses should grade themselves on a curve in some kind of a way because by the time you've smelled it and been around no. it for that long, it is really hard to just objectively taste it. Yeah. So this is my this is where I I've, I'm sure I've talked about my approach like with pies or whole chickens or anything that you might be tempted to fuss over and linger with. I think gets much better if you don't. Like, don't start taking the temperature of the roasted chicken oh. all the time in advance. Like, because sure. then it will take it seven and a half hours to cook to completion. <laughs> and, and it's like if you just would leave the dang oven closed, it's yeah. probably mm-hmm. better to overcook it by a minute or two than it is to be fiddling about with the chicken when I was living in England with a mystery oven it was like this tiny oven and no one not even the English knew what to tell me about it it was it dialed to 11 and that was all there were no temperatures and most other people's ovens dialed to nine (laughs) so it was like you can't even I think it was nine English listeners I might be wrong it's been a few years now Anyway, mine went to 11, which meant that I had no way of really reckoning with what I was up yeah. to. And I really learned that it doesn't much matter. Yeah. I would turn it up to a nice six and I would <laughs> I would throw things in there and then just kind of keep an eye on it and see how it worked. And I even did our Thanksgiving turkey that way with a great amount of, I don't know, guys, we'll just put it in there while it's hot like that. <laughs> I kind of knew that. But I think that it's so, in some ways, it's so healthy because even when you have precise um, numbers on your stove, they don't, no no stove is that precise. They turn the heating element on and off and on and off to try to keep it loosely in the ballpark. Yeah. But you have a lot of range there. Yeah. So when it is, I just think that the, the thing about like chickens or pies is that like, they channel anxiety like the more sure. the more and so this you is know what, what i was gonna say is when you're hostessing gravy gravy oh man gravy knows fear it just it can if tell you're worried, that you're coming if it's worried it, like if you're worried it's getting ready to do stunts and if you're not worried <laughs> if you're not worried the gravy just is really docile but if you show fear it like produces cloddy strings or something that you would yeah, never or, expect or it turns out to be strangely pale yeah you're like what happened why have you done this to me nothing is worse than a pale gravy <laughs> a little more like a um a roux with some chicken broth you're like this is not what i wanted yeah. well the but the thing is is that when you're a hostess what i was going to say is there's a real element where you have to just decide to ship it as it and not keep mm-hmm. tasting and wondering and worrying like it is better to slap out a weird meal confidently than it is yeah. to hover over a well-planned one to such a oh point word, that no one can enjoy it anyways well and while i'm thinking about that fatouche i'm just i've probably also recommended the jerusalem cookbook but if we have we've plugged that one it's together it's so good the one that i make in that that's that I've only made it a couple times is the one that is a pasta with peas, but where you blend frozen peas and like Greek yogurt and garlic and all this stuff up, which you 
toss with a pasta. I have not tried that one, but that it's sounds amazing. Really good. And it's like very springy and bright green, but like and it has now I'm struggling because I think it is I think it's feta that you put with the pasta. So it's like shells that in this piece. Oh, really good. Well, and the find hummus. that in the Jerusalem cookbook. Yeah, and the Jerusalem cookbook, you guys, has the best hummus recipe that ever there was. It's like, I've made hummuses before, and it's like, yeah, oh, that was nice. This one is like <laughs> really stupid good. And yeah. we did a roasted beet spread as well that was really yummy mm-hmm. and different, and um, that's good on flatbread. And then, but there's one where they have you make the hummus in there. And then there's like a meat, I think it's lamb, I can't remember now. This little like little little pieces of meat that you cook and then you serve it on top of the hummus. Oh yeah, that looks so good. I haven't oh, made that. I did and it's amazing. And the fatouche is really, really yum. That sounds good. Yeah, so anyway, there's there's something for everyone to run out and purchase. <laughs> <laughs> Back and I were just talking about. I think that I we were just talking before we began recording about the marvel, the inner workings of the human attitudes, and and something that was amusing me because we were talking about this was that sometimes when I talk to my children, if I make fun of people who are having a bad attitude, it does not always. Go over. It doesn't go over like a like a great thing if you do that. Well, some. I mean, I remember when Judah, from the time he was little, if you would just make fun of his attitude, he would die laughing. Yeah, because if you can get them to, if you can get them to see the humor, it's over. Yeah. As soon as they are willing to not take themselves no. so seriously but, and to notice that they're just being a turkey. But other times, other children, other other there are other situations where. People don't are not full of joy when you come no. at it with a joke, <laughs> and and there like, are some people. It is like pushing them back under the pond. Like yeah. I'm just pushing you in and yeah, I'm holding yeah, you yeah. down. So, so with I have my jokes. So I have I have such a person on my hands. It won't well, probably more than one. But the point was that we what we were laughing about is something that I will tell my kids, which is. It's like, will it help you if I make fun of this right now? And it's like, it will not help. It always makes it worse or, you know, whatever. It's like, well, what would help right now? And if they have any idea at all, what would help? You know, like, well, all I need is... And I'm like, great, so you've got a handle on it then. So yeah. <laughs> if you know so well... If what it takes pro. to get you out of the <laughs> funk, then I'm so glad I don't have to worry about it because you're doing it right now. You're, you're gonna get out of the funk. And, uh, and I'm like, and if you can't do it, then the only thing left for me to try is to make fun of it. <laughs> I was like, so if that's not gonna help you, then you have a few minutes. <laughs> you have a few minutes to pull out, and I don't mean just to be clear, making fun of them is not, um, it's not objectively a rude thing to be doing or mocking them in front of the siblings. It's more like, oh, it's like what we're doing right now. Exactly. It's not, (laughs) it's in no way, it's not a meanie McTots thing to do. It's just, it's just funny, but it makes me laugh because of how much we can do that. Like, 
all like when people be like, all I need is for someone to tell me that my work here really matters and something you're like, do you know that the work matters that you're doing? Ah, you do? Like, like, well then let's do what's called encouragement from the knowledge that you have rather than now throwing a total coup until your husband does it. <laughs> Write yourself a post-it note saying the work you're doing really matters. Oh, look, or like Raising children (laughs) is hard, but worth it. You know, like you, and I'm not saying that it's bad to want encouragement from other places, but it is a funny trick of the human heart to feel like you know the whole flow chart for how other people ought to get you back in a good mood rather Mm -hmm. than saying, maybe I should focus on the flow chart of the things (laughs) that I myself could do. (laughs) Because the truth is, is that if you were alone on a desert island, you could get into a tood all by yourself. <laughs> that, which actually totally reminds me of that great joke about the guy kind of Robinson Crusoe situation who was stuck on a desert island. Okay. <laughs> uh, and when he was rescued, he was given the people a tour of the island. He was like, this is the house I built for myself and like and you know like here's where I you know yeah this whole little plantation like Robinson Crusoe you know here's where I make raisins here's where I <laughs> had the goats and the pens yeah. <clears throat> and he's like and this is the little church that he built and and they were like wow and the person who they were like well what's what's that little building over there and he said it's the church I used to go to <laughs> vices that haunt me (laughs) it's like but you know what a sorrowful time it would be about 10 minutes into it when you got yourself all in a flounce about there was no one else to blame for what happened Mm -hmm. i i think it's just 
The reality is that recognizing that you can be bad all by yourself is an important <laughs> is an important thing to sort out. Well, because if you're always looking around for the external things that caused it in mm-hmm. you, then it feels like if only you could fix the external things, then you wouldn't be having this problem. But the truth is, is it really is all springing up from within your heart. And sometimes that it doesn't mean that the external circumstances are not hard in some way, or that no, other people are, are can be contributing often. tons of of spiritual noise to the situation. But there's that. It's like just because those things are there doesn't mean you're sinless. Just because there's a right. real situation. Yeah. Life is real on, out there. Yeah. So somebody sent me the funniest, funniest. I wish I had saved it because I think I forgot to. But it was Oprah. It was like a meme, but it was Oprah. It was a quote of her explaining that now she doesn't talk to anyone. Oh, hold on. What's happening? Oh, it's still working, guys. I think it's just getting everyone. Tense, so. Everyone, stop panicking. <laughs> All right, sorry. Oprah. So she's explaining how she no longer talks to anyone who is not giving her energy. Like, Whoa! I know. She's like, I can be in charge of who I talk to only to those who are bringing energy. And I have to say, something about that seems incredibly Queen Ant. Doesn't it? <laughs> but isn't that Queen kind of B actually is the one? It's the idea of that there's a, that everyone has to do the work for everyone you. Everyone feeds me, right? Yeah. I'm assuming that they think they're having a fair exchange of energies, but nobody writes a big thing about how their whole goal is to go about life delivering energy to others. No. I mean, like that's like. What I'm going to do is energize all those around me. I'm like, I don't, I don't hear that nearly no. as much <clears throat> that people are talking that, that way. That smacks a little too much of, oh, I don't know, Christianity. Yeah, so I was going to say <laughs> being a little servant-hearted. Kind of. Go try to encourage some people. Back when we thought that nobility was <clears throat> a thing that mattered. Right, like caring for others was mm-hmm. one of those things. But okay, but I wanted to talk with you about something because you'll think this is funny. Um... Because in my assorted social media moments, one of the things that I occasionally hear people, I wouldn't say accusing me of, but clearly thinking that I believe, which I find very funny because it's one of those things that's very disjointed from... Is it just people who think you're being mean? No, it's a perception that is very disjointed from what I have... I feel like I've been very vocal about, you know, like... It's just, is that because I'm opposed to the rhetoric around cutting your toxic friends out of your life. Right. um, Getting, that they're like. That means you have to have toxic friends. Yeah. It was like, but (laughs) Rachel, it's okay to say no sometimes. And I'm like, I am all over the map on saying yes, say no. You know, like that you need to have boundaries. People are like, it's not bad to have boundaries. And you're like, I know. I yes, don't. I is. am actually a big fan of boundaries. <laughs> I am a big fan. But so I was thinking about this, and I and I didn't think enough to really be presenting a clear idea. So maybe you can help me flesh one out. Okay. Is that I have this idea that somewhere in there, the heart behind Christian boundaries is not that you're trying to. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is the idea of a healthy boundary 
is boundaries around your own obedience. Yeah. Do you know, like, that what you're trying to control is not other people. It right. is your obedience. Right. And and so if there's a situation where, like, say you have a bossy friend who runs all over you and leads you into foolishness of some kind, mm-hmm. you need the boundary, not because you're losing energy to her or your whatever. You need the boundary because you being faithful requires you drawing a line and not. Totally. And it's like, but it's all about you. Like, the boundary is about a boundary for you. It's about your own, you know, and I... And I was thinking about this because one of the boundaries that I have always recommended to college girls when they come here, when I catch them in time, <laughs> when they, when I have that chance to sure. tell them, is, is just things like don't ever go to a party where you don't have, like, you need a way to get yourself home totally. that is not dependent on your friends having the same opinion like, you know, like yeah. if you ride with a whole group of people and then you find out that this is stupid and then no one else will leave and right. then there you are, that is foolish because you did not do the work in advance to make sure you could be obedient and an instead, and instead and... now you're in a foolish and compromising situation right. because you didn't uh-huh. think ahead. And, but my point there is the boundary is around your own behavior it's not about have the boundary where you don't ever let a friend, like where you don't ever be kind to someone who might be stupid or something. It's about yeah, right, your right. own, it's about your own control of your own behavior yeah. is what the boundary should be about. Yeah. And so if you have, for instance, genuinely toxic friends, well, you ought to fix that. I mean, don't be doing that. Why be a companion to fools? But on the other hand, if it all depends on your what's defini- your definition of toxic yeah. friends. Because maybe it's friends who actually hold you accountable and won't let you right. and, they, and, you and think, complain and all the time. And you think they're toxic because they say sin. Yeah. Or they're toxic because they tell you you shouldn't talk about your husband that way. Or, you know, like, mm-hmm. that's not a toxic friend. Uh, but there genuinely are toxic friends Right, but I think that those those kinds of friends that I would say that's a toxic relationship... I, I think toxic is a really charged word because I think it's actually just foolish or ungodly or, yep. you know, like that the problem is not that there's some category of human that scripture didn't ever identify, mm-hmm. but that folly and foolishness and rebellion and the mocker and, and the, the gossip, the scornful and the gossip. These are all categories in scripture that we know that Christians may not participate in. But the reason you're not supposed to participate in it is because to do so would be to disobey God. Not because But it's not because you're losing energy. Sucking away your you know, right. you time. Right. Exactly. And when scripture says positively things like honor your father and mother, it it doesn't say honor your father and mother so long as this is an energizing union for you it's you know like it isn't it isn't and so the reality is that for some people honoring your father and mother may feel very what people would call life-giving wonderful encouraging and for other people honoring your father and mother is an absolutely difficult ongoing uphill battle to obey God. Yep. By, and that's how it is. And it, and it isn't like God says, honor your father, father and mother so that 
you can be pepped up all right. the time. <laughs> he just says yeah. to do it. And, it, and that's yeah. just how it is. So I guess I was thinking more that everybody's always wanting to know how do you define a toxic friend or a toxic family member. And so that, because the assumption is, because then you should get rid of them. Right. You should presumably not bump them <laughs> off, but, but get rid of them yeah. out of your life. Excommunicate you them. You should excommunicate them from the circle of your energies. And, and they want to know how do you define that, but then they end up defining it entirely by how it makes you feel. Right. And so the reality is that that's just has nothing to do with what Christians no. are called to. No. And, the, and one of the big problems with that is, haven't we all seen the damage that that does in like mothers with their children? Yeah. And, um, you know, in marriages when it's yeah. like, you know what I noticed I don't feel all tingly inside when I see you anymore. You know, like, <laughs> I'm calling it off. You know, I'm off. I got to go do something that will give me energy and encourage me. Right. And, and it's so damaging. And yet we all, we like the idea of that category. Like, we're going to just be that person to decide this isn't, this person is out. You know, yeah. I'm yeah. done with you. You've done nothing for me. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Anyways, I guess I was just thinking maybe the best way to think about the boundaries is whatever boundaries you have are not about keeping other people out of your life. It's about keeping yourself walking in obedience. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's the boundary is, is to keep. And so yeah, like a and good example was, it would be like if you had a really controlling or a malicious mother-in-law who was mm-hmm. getting into your relationship with your husband in some way to be a real problem. Right. Well, we all agree you need a boundary. You need boundaries there. Mm-hmm. But the boundaries are all around you being obedient to God in your marriage. In yeah. your, um, And it, it's not about a boundary to keep her from being herself with her problems. You just can't. Yeah. You can't right. do that. You're only in charge of your own obedience. And I think this is, this is not really on the same facet of that discussion. However... I do think having wise boundaries actually can end up creating space to have a friendship. Whereas if you don't have so any much. boundaries at all, then you will fry it at the beginning. And so we have teenage kids and um, this is obviously there's a big difference, which I always want to make sure we acknowledge a big difference between God's rules and house rules, mm-hmm. you know. God's rules would be, <clears throat> you know, you may not the commit ones you find in scripture. fornication, <laughs> don't get drunk, all those things. But then you have to have like just wisdom kinds of things. How do we like, then enflesh those? Yeah, God's laws. We, what does that look like? <clears throat> how do we live in such a way because, as to not teeter on the edge of those? And things? because without being legalistic, <coughs> you're not legalistic. <coughs> no. And but at the same time, you're like, if it is important to me. To not be fornicating, then <laughs> what I should not do. Right. Back to the old days when I volunteered at the Crisis Pregnancy Center, and there was that outrageous <laughs> pamphlet put out oh, by the yeah. state, I believe, called 100 Ways <laughs> to Make Love Without Doing It. And it right. was very embarrassing for everyone. <laughs> I can't, I still, and some of the suggestions were so painful. Like, give each other sexy looks. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, you know what? 
<laughs> a, how does one go about proposing that as an activity? And B, how would that activity in any way be a good territory to be in? I mean, what? <laughs> it's kind of like just drawing a line you know, three quarters of the way down a slide yeah. and being like, have fun on the first three quarters, but don't go past this line. I like know. just whiz on down it right until here and I then know. don't. And then stop. And the thing is, is that like, so wisdom, our point is have... that wisdom would say, don't get on the slide. Right. And, yeah. and also realizing different faithful Christians have different house rules. So I'm not saying that the way we do these things is inspired and I found these rules on Mount Sinai. However, um, just in terms of like trying to live with wisdom with teenage kids, there are a lot of ways in which I think, so like the school where our kids go and your kids go and everything, I teach these classes and the dynamic between the guys and girls is so healthy overall it's not mm-hmm. to say you know somebody's not, not having perfect, a flirty time somewhere but overall the dynamic is so healthy because um there really is zero tolerance for any relationships, romantic relationships yeah. and so because of that i think our kids are actually able to experience having friends of you know both of genders, both genders yeah. in a way that like if you were to go down to the public high school where everybody is sleeping around and having all kinds of, mm. well, all the things that go with that of betrayal and backstabbing. Oh, yeah. And just, and just all heartache. Of those things. Like and genuine it, heartache. It, so by having those, like, basically zero tolerance for the romance thing, it does mean that you aren't going to get really close with that guy friend. But that actually mm. means it's possible to have a friend. And mm-hmm. as soon as it becomes too close, usually you you see this over and over. The friendship ends up fried or they become romantically involved. And sometimes either they <clears throat> become interested in each other one way or they have done something else. Right. And so mm-hmm. the way we've done it with our kids is like as soon as they're old enough to like have a group of friends, whatever. It's like if you just are spending time one on one with a person of the opposite sex then that's just not a wise choice. If you have two girls and two guys who are the little squad who does stuff together all the time. It's just a double date. And it's only a matter of time. Even if you're totally fine, it's only a matter of time before one of the people in the party has romantic intentions towards someone else. Yeah. Or everybody starts gossiping about you and then that makes everybody mad. And then, you know, like, it's just unwise. And then... For us, we're like, and if you have two gar- two guys, two girls, and one extra for propriety, we all know that you're just on a double date with an extra. It's like, it still looks really funky to everybody. And and I was like, but once you hit sort of six... Five, five <clears throat> is not as bad because so long as it's not the established squad plus one. Well... But I think that's what I was talking about. Yeah. So you have the you have the four. And but then I'm one saying extra. if there if it is if five is fine if it's a if it's a mobile five if it's a different gathering of but five. I, but that's what I'm not saying is if it's not a different gathering yeah, yeah, five. Yeah, if yeah. it's always the same five, everyone is wondering, well, what's happening there? Yeah. Like who's who? What's going on? I, after that point, you're just you have a crowd. Like it's just a group, you know. And so, like I said, these are not hard and fast rules, but I have seen over and over 
people get themselves into these ridiculous by not having boundaries mm-hmm. by having the little tight group of four that's always doing stuff together and then somebody thinks the other one's interested yeah and then maybe they are or maybe they aren't and then they have to say no I'm not and then that causes tension and then you can't be friends anymore and the whole thing is very awkward and it's like if you actually just have the boundaries out there to like let's just protect this and keep it you know right or like on the videos of of the all of the girls saying of course guys and girls can be friends and then the guys all being like nah oh yeah can't happen and the girls are in denial and the guys are like but the thing is like we were talking about this with my classes and they were like, I don't think. I mean, if you had four, nobody thinks that. And so I was like, well, let's just let's just pick an instance at random. And it was, I think I was talking to sophomores. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's say that you two girls, two of the sophomore girls, at lunch were always jumping in the car with two of the senior guys. <laughs> and the whole class erupts with like, no. And I was like, you see what I'm saying? It would be weird. Have you followed my argument? My argument is that all of you would say, what is going like, on what there? Are they doing? Yeah. And so it's like, if you just decide like, yeah, we're not going to get into the, like those little, the, the little friendships that for a minute are kind of exciting or whatever. Fun, and yeah. then suddenly it crashes and then you can't be friends anymore and it ruins everything. Yeah. And then it's very awkward. And actually this is sort of, we've mentioned before, like the best friends element that we tell our kids that we don't care if you have a best friend, but we don't want you to call them that. Um, just because, especially in younger elementary times, it is almost exclusively used as a title to bestow and withdraw. Like, yeah. the idea is largely to say, you can be my best friend, but later she's going to be my very best friend. <laughs> and you're going to be the lesser bester friend. And, you know, it just is dumb. And so we're like, there's nothing at all wrong with enjoying some people's company more than others. But don't signal it and flag it and don't be yeah. like, the four of us, we're the ones who always hang out together and we're the one, you know, yeah. like that, because all you're going to do is crash that when you withdraw the title. Totally. Instead of, it's perfectly natural, especially in big groups of people, like in a church or in a, you know, it's natural for people to drift in and out of, of. Like, you're kind of closer with some people, and then you're... You know, like, that kind of thing happens Mm -hmm. naturally. You see it happen with your kids when they're going through different phases where they're closer to different siblings. Because right now, these ones are into Legos. And and then someone veers off because they decided to make a wilderness fort outside. And those two are really into that. And, you know, and that's just normal development life. And it's just better to not do it all with a lot of drama fanfare. Yeah. No, it's true. And so I just feel like sometimes those little, like, having boundaries that can seem uptight. Oh, it's so if you're freeing. If you're not doing it in an uptight way, because, of course, you could do it in a way that was incredibly, like, judgy and difficult and hardcore and Oh, rude. and just lame. You but, could be lame. But if you're, if you're not doing it that way, it actually can really free you up to have better friendships with more people... And with much less drama. Yeah, and the kids and so the kids at, at Logos, it's really the fact that there's just zero relationships tolerated makes for such a sweeter student body oh, it's fantastic. Uh, vibe of it's just sort and of it, not it's funny weird. Because I think that if you were to compare 
your average group of American teenagers who have far more experience in one way. I actually think they genuinely really don't know what it's like to be friends. Well, and also, you know, and, and while and we think, while we get excited on this topic, I think part of the problem is not only do they not know what it's like to have friends, they actually have never had the experience of like if you're always coasting on initial romantic yep. fervor, <laughs> then you actually have no idea what it's like to to get to know someone of the opposite sex in a way that is like where you actually would evaluate these are character flaws yep. that I don't that I don't want to be like like that mm-hmm. objective distance instead of romantic fever yeah. to yeah. be able to be like man I am not interested in someone like yeah. that I remember once upon a time in my life a guy telling me how much he hated history and that how much that just was like it wasn't that I disliked him for that but it was a moment of realizing how important history is to me yeah you know what i mean like wow yeah. like all things are not equal but if you but if you had just if you were just getting into things cuz it seemed interesting and romantic mm-hmm. you wouldn't have those moments or maybe right. you would but it would be during a really bad breakup while yeah. you were while yeah having a hard time yeah no, it's funny. I just think it's such a healthy thing for for them to experience what it's like to have friends. But of necessity, you have to be distant. As soon as you get closer, it sort of kills that. And I mean, yeah. across genders. Like, it just, like, yeah, becomes impossible. You know. Yeah. It, it, or exclusive is a bad idea. You know. Any kind of exclusive friendship of with an opposite gendered person yeah, yeah, yeah. is a romance. Like, yeah, and the, it's just you can't. Like, if you do the, if you do the, um, take the same scenario but put different people into it. So, like, um, you know, talking to the kids at school, where it's like, well, imagine that it's just four of you, two guys and two girls, and you're like, what? I don't see what the big deal is. It doesn't have to mean anything. And like. And I'm like, but what if it was me and the secretary and two of the male teachers that would we that are not be, married would to? Would that be super normal? And we were always jumping in the car to run off to, like, play pool at lunch together. Um, what would you think of that? Would we all children? be happy? What if it was your dad and <laughs> that girl's mom and two other miscellaneous and they all people? And they all and getting, like, like, far away grossed out faces. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it's like because I think we all kind of do know. We know in our hearts there's kind of a level not, of closeness there that that's not. It, that's, it's, it's, it's not, not indicative of good things, and it's not meaningless, you know. And I think we all realize that. There was a LinkedIn ad that came by my way that was um, <laughs> Gloria Steinem in a really unflattering. Well, she doesn't look good, but in a really <laughs> unflatteringly ugly. I mean, it was just, like, really not an attractive situation for her. But okay. it was a LinkedIn ad about Gloria Steinem's <laughs> advice for how to overcome the Pence rule. Like, how to make your male bosses meet with you one-on-one. And it was a really... <laughs> it was really interesting because I thought, like, really? Like, the woman who, you know, wearing her 
I had an abortion yay t-shirt. Right. Which she wasn't wearing for this particular thing. But explaining to us how men must too respect us in one-on-one situations. You just feel like, Gloria, I think that you already made it clear (laughs) where you stand on such things. And any man would be wise to not want to meet with Gloria Steinem (laughs) (laughs) one-on-one. You know what I mean? Like, of all people, Gloria, like, this just seems like, wow. Why would... It just seems so funny. How to coerce men that don't want to be alone with you (laughs) into being alone with you. Right. Right. And they have no reason to fear that you might launch... That you might have an other campaign afoot. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Like, they can trust you, you know, yep. 100%. There you will might, be no hashtags in nothing, your future. Nothing could go wrong. <laughs> nothing. It's oh just, in goodness. no way will she interpret any of this yeah. in a judgy way or nothing. She's no, just, it'll be amazing. She's one of, yeah, it's incredible. <sighs> we should do a tip. And, Guess what? I had a tip. Although, oh, all right. I might have already given this tip. Well, I probably forgot it, so... Yeah, well, I did, so there's that. But this is this is a good tip. Roll your sheets for storage. Really? Yeah, brilliant. It works so well. Why? It's better than everything you ever <laughs> did in your life. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll walk you through it. Walk me through it. So you fold the flat sheet. And as you fold it, you reach a phase where you have a long but thin sheet folded, right? Okay, so you keep going one direction. So probably, well, I do it across, and then I do the first fold across the sheet, and then I fold it a number of times. So you end up with it, it probably ends up being like a foot or a little more uh, wide, but then however long half the As, sheet length. oh half the, like okay. half the sheet length long probably because right. I half it that way and then fold it sure. that way okay at that phase just lay it on your bed or something on the table okay then you get the fitted sheet yeah and you fold the fitted fitted sheet into a correspondingly just a long piece you know like you do that business and you lay that on top of the flat sheet okay. and then you put the pillowcases on top of that and then you roll it up And then you have a bundle of the full bedding set, clearly indicative of the size, because like our king bed is much bigger, it's a much bigger roll of sheet than, than like a twin set would be. Okay. And they fit in the cabinet beautifully and all the parts are there because you rolled up the every part of the sheet set that you might need. It does it look all rumply bumply on the end? No. When you open the cabinet, are you looking at a wad? No. no, it's like a nice tight roll that just sits there on the shelf beautifully. It changes huh. everything. Huh. Well. I used to have this elaborate situation of trying to keep, like, the fitted sheets in one place and the flat sheets and then the pillowcases, and I just hate the... It's never going to stay in that order. You're going to... and You know, you just yeah. end up with all... And so now... I only keep complete sheet sets instead of like one-off, yes, one-off. An important because thing. what happens is you blow through the fitted sheet and you end up with still cute-looking flat sheets. Yeah. And so you're kind of like, well, maybe I'll, and then you end up with this pile of sheets. Yeah. No. So that's how I do it, and it actually it's just incredibly. They look great if you put so. 
if you're really caring how it looks, mm-hmm. you just have the flat sheet. That's why I put the flat one on the outside. Okay. And so you can just fold the fitted one over so that the edges are not sticking out, right? Okay. So then when you roll it up, it just looks like a nice roll of fabric. This is an, an interesting idea. Yeah. Hmm. And it works really well. Everyone oh, should good. live this way. I, I felt like it was one of those breakthroughs where you're like, why? Why have I not well, been doing this I all Well, I think along? that it's, I feel like it's less applicable to me because I feel like we're kind of usually cruising on one set of sheets per bed, which we just wash, dry, put back on the bed. Rather than having well, I don't a whole... Well, I don't have a whole double, like for all the beds in our house, I don't have an extra set of sheets. But I have, I have like a couple extra twin sets. Sure. And I have an extra king set because I prefer to change the sheets. Yeah, well, instead of wash. And yeah. always that ends up being too late. You always are like, I want to go to bed now at, at no, 10. And this the is sheets what I do. are in, not in the dryer this yet. This is what I do. Saturday is the day that I try and knuckle through all of Ben's in my laundry. And then different days for different kids. But Saturday... I strip the bed first thing and wash the sheets first. And then I move to all the other loads of laundry, which means that then I, you know, mm-hmm. have gotten them washed, dried first back on the bed before I have done anything else. And so you don't, if you wait yeah. until the end of the day. Well, I'll tell you, I'm still waiting for my whole laundry life to be revolutionized. Well, you're a, it's, yours is about to be, and it's okay because I'm not going to be in any way jealous. <laughs> Thank you for that. Becca. I'm Thank confident you. that neither will anyone else who's listening to you. Oh, I think I, I thought everyone probably knows this. My new laundry room has washer dryer hookups, but it's three in a row for stacking washer Guys, dryers. Three washers, three dryers. This is so my kids can do their laundry because right now, if I was like, you're going to do your own laundry. I, it wouldn't work at all. Like, it would never. We have too many children and too many. It would yeah. take too long. So this way my thought is if they have like two hours, it's like, hey, go do all your laundry. Because they can wash their sheets and their towel yeah. and their darks and their colors. And like, Yeah. And the thing is, is like that's actually why I have ours divvied out by days. So it's not like... It's not like I don't use the washer on other days because I do. But it's like that's where yeah. I try and hit the bulk of everything. But each of my kids has an assigned day where they use the laundry. And I can't on do that, that because day. I have seven children. So yeah. then, and then the other problem is then you know it would be someone's day that they had an all-day track meet and they were gone, and then you're well. You that know. always happens. We just like somebody will be like, ah, I need to wash my basketball uniform. Can I throw it in with your stuff? It's like yeah. it always. But I feel like my big goal here is to get the laundry mostly. No, three washers uh, and three dryers will take you there. I I'm so excited. Yeah, it's good. It's really I think good. it's a good thought. It I'm is. pretty pleased. It is a good thought. Yeah. So, well, well, there you go, guys. All right. That's what we've Until done. Until next time. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. You think of yourself now, and then in four years' time, what do you want yourself to look like? And... Is the education that you're considering going to help you get to that place? When you're a student, you want to become like your teacher. You're going to become like your teacher. Looking at NSA beforehand, I knew I wanted to become like the men who are teaching here. Fireman, husband, father, doctor, no matter where you want to go, 
NSA is just such good preparation for the person that you want to be. If you want to be an effective Christian, you need to be able to lead and shape culture. If you want to do that, no matter what your occupation is, you need to shape yourself, as, um, prepare yourself as a person for that job. And liberal arts is, I think, the best education you can have for that. To learn more, check us out online at nsa.edu.